Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Before we run into the new year, I want to um, talk about how to make godly decisions today. So if you've already planned stuff for the new year, this will be a great filter for you to take what your plans are and push it through. Um, because there's a lot of scripture here that talks about how to make great decisions um, and godly decisions for our life going forward. So um, if you haven't made decisions yet and you're still in that kind of goal planning, you know, vision casting moment, um, this will be good for you as well. And it's not, you know, the, the new year kind of tees this up for us, right? Like because everyone's kind of in that mode. But this is not specifically for the new year. It's also for Anytime you're ready to make some type of decision or need to make some type of change or move forward in your life, these principles that we're going to find here in Scripture um, will help you. We're going to start by reading in Galatians chapter 5, but before we read <clears throat> that, that block of 15 verses, I want to give you a little insight to what's going on right before we start this, before we start reading in Galatians, okay? So Paul has gone on his missionary journeys. Um, he took three of them, and either depending on which scholar or biblical theologian you you know prescribe to it, some people think it was his first journey, some people think it was his last journey, his third one. It's inconsequential. On one of them journeys, Paul went over to an area known as Galatia, um, and he planted churches. That area is what we would refer to today as modern-day Turkey. That kind of whole area. There's a couple of the epistles that are written to churches that are in that area. Um, so Paul spent a considerable amount of time there. Not only there, but he did spend a considerable amount of time there. And so he went and planted a bunch of churches there. And they're doing well. They're, they're, they're building. They're growing. They're, they're increasing in number. People are coming to faith. And uh, he, he sets them up on this principle. God gives us grace through faith in Jesus Christ, his only son. That's salvation. There it is in a nutshell. And you don't have to go back and do all of the Old Testament laws. They, you know, they didn't refer to him as Old Testament. It's kind of our reference, right? But all the laws that were spelled out in the Torah, he's trying to tell them, you don't have to do those anymore. So even if you're a Jew, you don't have to go back and be burdened by having to make animal sacrifices and, you know, pay a certain amount of your income several times a year. You don't have to do all of that. You are now free because Christ has died. He has made all of us free. He's paid the price we couldn't pay. He has given us um, the, the sacrifice for sin. He's given us all of the sacrifice for sin. Everybody else want to clap with him while we go? Yeah. Um, He's given us the sacrifice for sin, and he's the only way that we can be justified, the only way that we can be justified to God, right, is through his son and faith in his son. That We can't pay enough money. We can't do enough good works. We can't, you know, we can't do anything on our own strength that would make us be into a position where we could earn what God was going to give us freely through his son. Everybody understand? That is the essence of the gospel. If you believe in Christ, he sets you free. He makes you new. And Paul took a lot of time to instill this, this concept and this foundational principle into all these guys in Galatia. 
All these churches were operating from that in freedom. He constantly tells them, don't go back to the rules. Don't go back to the rules. Stay in freedom. They all agree. He leaves and goes on to build churches in other areas. <clears throat> a short time later, he gets word that some other teachers have now come in to those churches he planted and are starting to tell them, hey man, the only way that you can get back with God is to do all those rules that are in our Old Testament. And they, and the Galatians, this is where Paul gets frustrated, the Galatians get suckered into it. So here they are, have been given the gift of freedom in Christ, and now these people are telling them, no, 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 come back here, and you have to do the sacrifices, you have to, you know, do all of the, pay all this money, and all different times a year, you have to do all these things. And so Paul gets word of it, and Paul gets frustrated. Anybody ever done a lot of work? And then a little bit later, it was undone by a couple of little yahoos that said something. You ever done that? I have. So, so that happens. And so Paul gets frustrated and he writes them the entire letter of Galatians. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 5, verse 11. And you're going to hear just how frustrated he is in this statement. Okay. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, when you see that in the Bible, it's referring to the old law. It's kind of a summary word of the old law of Moses. If I were preaching that you still had to be circumcised or follow that old law, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Anyone here is frustration right there? Yeah, I sure do. And then he pivots. He talks about giving them freedom. Then he pivots. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Because of destroying one another, uh, uh, beware of destroying one another. So I say... Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another 
or be jealous of one another. There is so much crammed into that right there. I'm not going to pick it apart to the fullest because we'd be here till you know, tomorrow. <clears throat> but there's a couple things that I want to just hit on real quickly in this passage of Scripture that will help us make better godly decisions. We've talked before about what the culture promotes. When, now, when you're in this kind of New Year's time, the culture really promotes things like, what's your dream? Go follow your dream. What is your passion? Go follow your passion. What's your heart? Just go follow your heart. What kind of mark do you want to leave? What do you want to do? What kind of legacy you want to live? How many times did I just say you? And it's all me focused, us focused. It takes the focus off of where the Lord would want us to be and puts the focus on where we are. And it, it is exactly the opposite of what we're supposed to do. So I'm here today to tell you, don't follow your dream. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow those passions. Because the prophet Jeremiah says the heart is wicked desperately. Who knows how bad it can be? So here we are trying to make decisions with this. Paul outlines in verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil. It's opposite of what the spirit wants. The spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature wants. Once, listen to this. These two forces are constantly fighting in each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Here's, he's talking to a bunch of Christians. He's talking to a bunch of believers in Christ here. He's saying that even if you're a believer in Christ, you're going to have some kind of desire in you that's not right. They're going to constantly be at war, and we have to live in a way and be in Scripture a way that, to understand how to which way to go, and how to deal with those desires that are not from the Spirit. Understand? So this letter to Galatians applies to all of us extended today. Okay? So if you're not supposed to follow your dream, you're not supposed to follow your heart, you're not supposed to follow your passion, not supposed to do all that stuff, what are you supposed to do? How do you make a decision for what to do going forward with life? <clears throat> those are the three, a couple of the three things we're going to deal with today. And it's the first line there on your notes. Ready? Point number one is choose the right guide. <coughs> choose the right guide. Galatians 5.16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. How are we led by the Spirit? And how can we receive His direction? The next line's on your notes there. By constantly spending time in Scripture and by constantly spending time in prayer. If you come here long enough, you're going to notice this is a recurring theme. We're going to keep pushing you, encouraging you, molding you. Spend time in God's Word. Spend time in prayer because you're going to find the greatest revelations from the Spirit of God happen through His Word. And when you're spending time with Him, we're going to constantly nudge you and encourage you and push you forcefully sometimes in that direction because these are so vital to the life of a believer, especially if we're going to make good decisions. Number two, we have to be honest about our intentions. Be honest about our 
and tensions. <clears throat> Verse 19 through 21 in that passage. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And he lists that big old long list we went through. Let me tell you again, as I've said before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here's my question. And this is where the honesty comes in. No one knows your motive or your intent 100% other than you and God. As much as your best friend, your wife, your husband, your spouse, your friend, your boys, your girls, whoever it is, they know you. They don't really 100% know all of the intentions that are in your heart, all the motives that are in your heart the way you do. And there's sometimes we bought into a lie and don't really, we have a blind spot where we can't even see our own intention sometimes. God is the only other one who can dive that deep into us and reveal what our intention is. But if we're going to make good decisions, we're going to have to be as honest as we possibly can. So here's the question. Next line in your notes. Do the desires that I have align with my sinful nature? My sinful nature as described in Galatians 5. Do the desires I have line up with all of those things that he listed that are desires of our sinful nature? Now, you're going to have to be honest with yourself. Do not shout out and tell me right now. Don't, I'm not asking you to, to do that. What I'm saying is at some point this week, you're going to have to be honest with yourself, look at yourself in the mirror, spend some time alone, and say, are the intentions and desires and, which lead to these actions and plans that I'm making, are they lining up with this sinful nature? Now, none of us are going to go, absolutely. I am... My, my, my actions are leading right to fornication, right to jealousy. None of us are going to do that. It's much more subtle, right? So let me dig down a little bit and ask you some different questions. Are we making plans based on greed? Are we making plans based on the desire for power? Are we making plans based on the need for us to look important to other people? Are we making plans based on making ourselves feel superior to other people? Are we making plans based on plain, selfish ambition? That becomes a lot more real, right? If you're a Christ follower, those things should be things that you run from. And they're evidence that you're following the sinful nature, if those are your goals, okay? The problem here is because in our culture, our, our culture is very, um, very familiar with quote-unquote Christianity. And we have become very good. I say we because I'm going to join myself into that group of all of us. We become very good of taking something that is a selfish ambition slapping God card on it and be like, God told me to do that. And then we disguise garbage. We disguise a rotten apple by painting the outside to make it look like it's a red delicious. When in the middle, it is gross and infected and falling apart. That is what we do when we slap the God card on something that is actually our selfish ambition. 
I couldn't believe it. As I was getting ready for this message this week, I heard a Christian musician go online <clears throat> and say, I have too many people telling me, God told me to do this. God told me to do this. And I'm watching them, and it is foul stuff, man. It is messed up. It is not rooted in Scripture. Will somebody out there please begin teaching pastors, somebody, what you're supposed to do in these scenarios? And if you are somebody who questions that, we can correct that issue very easily by being in His Word. <clears throat> if your answer is yes to any of those things, <coughs> am I doing things out of selfish ambition, out of greed? Is the end result, the fruit of this action, of this belief, of this path that I'm taking on? Does it lead to those things that say, are bred from the sinful nature. If your answer is yes, my guess is it'll be a hard swallow for you to say yes, because it is for me. Then we need to, that next line is very important, repent. Repent. <clears throat> All that means is change course, change your mind, make new decisions, move in a new direction. Move away from this sinful nature that is in every single one of us, that's at war in us, and move towards being led by the Spirit of God. Verses 22 and 23 give us the flip side of the coin. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So now let me ask the first question a different way. Question number two there. Do the desires I have align with the fruits of the Spirit? The fruits of the Spirit as described in Galatians 5. Everybody else can judge if those actions were in fact led by the Spirit because of the fruit. Only you know on the front end that the decisions I'm making are going to lead in this direction. Point number three. This is the spot where I want to spend a few minutes and then we'll close it up. <clears throat> number three. Putting things to death. How do we make good decisions? Point number three, we're putting things to death. Verses 24 and 26, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Paul is admonishing the church in Galatia and us as believers by default to follow the leading of the Spirit in every part of our life. So we just went through and described that constant war of flesh and spirit that's inside of us, beckoning us to follow each one of them. There's a two choices every day. We also see that these fleshly desires must be continually put to death. So one tool... I want to put in your hand today, we're going to do this a lot, we're going to try to put as many tools in your hands, weapons in your hands, 
things in your hands that will benefit you as you go forward in your life pursuing Christ. One of the tools I want to put into your hand that is from Scripture to put these fleshly things to death is the biblical principle of fasting. The biblical principle of fasting. If you ask my wife, what is one thing that your husband, uh, one decision that your husband made that kind of changed his life for the good, her first answer will be marrying me, right? That'll be her first answer. Like every good wife should be like. So the next thing that she would say after those things, right, immediately following, equally as important, is um, she will tell you that when, when my husband started committing to truly fasting, his life direction changed. I would sit here and tell you, man, fasting changed my life. But I have firsthand evidence from the only other person on the planet who knows me more. She's told me many times, I don't know what it does to you, but this fasting, please don't stop. Because it changes something in you for the better. So what is fasting? In scripture, fasting refers to, next line of your notes, abstaining from food for a certain period of time. Abstaining from food for a certain period of time. Sometimes that means, you know, people, they don't eat anything but drink water or liquids. Sometimes that means they just take a period of time and have one uh, one meal a day or they eat only during certain hours of the day. There's a bunch of different ways you can fast. But almost always in Scripture, almost always, fasting is related to food. Now, here's why it's important I say that. In our culture today, we find a lot of people saying things like, I'm going to fast Netflix. (laughs) I'm going to fast social media. And I'll just spend my time on, you know, watching YouTube videos instead of scrolling millions of hours through Facebook, or I'll kick on Hulu if I got to get my fix instead of Netflix, right? There's other ways to get the entertainment. And they say things like, I'm going to fast these things. Now, not going down the rabbit hole and wasting and being wasting a bunch of time and being distracted a long time from Netflix and reducing your time with that is a great idea. Reducing the not going down the hole of social media, you know, and taking time away from that and doing something constructive, great idea. I would caution us on calling that fasting only because the Bible and almost every one of the instances, I've read all of them this week, all these instances, uh, all the translations, all the stories, all the different accounts of the scripture, they all deal with food. I'll deal with food. Now, if you're someone who says, I want to fast, but I have this health condition that prevents me from doing it, my God, don't do it. If you have a, a doctor who's saying, I want you to eat a certain way in certain times of the day, and you're dealing with some kind of condition, you know, diabetic or some kind of other blood sugar problem or whatever it is, then, then the food thing is out for you. The only 
exception I would find for any for, to do like the fasting of the entertainment and social media and stuff like that would be for somebody in that in that physical condition. So, the challenge for us is related to food, which is one of our most basic needs. What we're telling God when we're fasting is the most basic need I have is not food. It's you. I can make it weeks. I can make it probably seven weeks. Not me personally, but I, Jesus made it seven weeks without food. can make it a really long time without food. I cannot make it without Him. There is no hope without Him. There is no true freedom without Him. There's nothing without Him. Temporary stuff, sure. But all that stuff fills. It never fulfills. And the only thing that will fulfill is Jesus. I want to go through a couple of things of what fasting is not. And before, before I do that, <clears throat> I want to tell you just a quick story about um, when I first started fasting. Um, I'd take a couple days and, you know, do my thing and... Um, uh, after doing that a couple of times, uh, this one particular time I was fasting, I was very angry, and I could not figure out why. I was frustrated, just heated. I was lit, man. I was, oh, man, I was angry. And I came home after work one day, and I sat down with Nina, and I said, man, I'm angry. And she goes, aren't you fasting? Like, is this supposed to be like a get closer to Jesus thing, and you're mad? Like, what's going on here? I'm like, I have no clue. And she goes, well, let's take some time. Me and Kobe, we got to go somewhere. She took my son, and they went off to the store or something. I sat there in our little apartment on the patio in the dark one night, and I asked the Lord, what in the world is going on with me with this fasting thing? I'm trying to get closer to you. I'm trying to know you more. I read it in the Bible all over the place. What's going on here? And the Lord very gently revealed something to me and corrected me at the same time. Ever happened to you? Your parent ever revealed what was really going on, and correct you at the same time with that? Yeah, that's happened to almost all of us, right? The Spirit of God really did that for me that day. Because He asked me, Matt, what have you been praying for? Because fasting is always connected to prayer. Always connected to prayer. What are you praying for when you fast? And so I went through the list. I want to be blessed. I want to get out of this apartment and own a home. Uh, I, we lost all our cars in the move, so I need another one of those. That would be good. Stinking Dave Ramsey got in my head, and I had to go sell one of them because I had debt on it, and now I'm running around this little beater, but, you know, like I would like something that's not a beater. Come on. I would like that. I would like to be blessed. I'd like to be back in the ministry. I'd like to be, you know, rolling again. I would like to do all those things. I would like to be at where you said we would be if we followed you. And the question just ran right across my heart that said, who said that you would be there if you followed me? I said, why am I angry, Lord? He said, because you are asking me to fulfill selfish desires in a spiritual way. And I don't get down like that. It's like immediately somebody kicked the light on in the room. And I could see these next several things very clear. Number one, 
Fasting is not what super Christians do. Fasting is not what super Christians do to twist the arm of God to get whatever they want. And that is exactly, embarrassingly, but honestly and transparently, what I was doing. I was begging him because I didn't want to look bad. I was begging him because I wanted to be somewhere else. And I was adding fasting into what I was doing and trying to satisfy a physical, sinful nature desire through a spiritual means. Number two, fasting should never lead to us making demands of God. Fasting should never lead to us making demands of God. You'll see people who'll be like, you said this in your word, God, and so I command you to... I can't find anywhere in Scripture where it says that we command God to do anything. We submit to His leading. Number three, fasting will never lead to God granting our fleshly desires. Fasting will never lead to God granting our fleshly desires. Number four, and this one's a tough pill to swallow for all the believers. Fasting does not guarantee God will do what you ask. It does not guarantee God will do what you ask. Fasting, number five, is about dying to yourself. Dying to yourself. Number six, fasting is about making petitions to God. Making petitions to God for things according to His will and not our own. As I went back and looked at my immense failure as I started fasting, I went back and looked at um, the Scripture and I found all these provisions when fasting was used for God's protection during hard times. For God's will to be done. For others to be saved. For asking God for His clear direction. And exposing fleshly areas that needed to die. That last line on your notes right there, on the back page, says this. Excuse me. Motives matter in fasting. Motives matter in fasting. Let me show you what I mean. God speaks to the children of Israel through the prophet Isaiah and these 11 scriptures. Ready? And see what he says to them because this was a tough pill to swallow when I realized I was one of these guys. Shout with the... He's telling Isaiah... Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Oh, thanks. That's a great job. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a religious nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. 
They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why I respond. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even when you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting if you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting I want. For those who are wrongly imprisoned, lighten the burden. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those that need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be bright as noon. The Lord will, continually, will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. How, how do we make godly decisions? We pick the right guide, which is His Spirit, which we find in His Word and through prayer. We be honest with our true motives of our decisions and the things and the intentions of our life. And last, we kill those things that are living in us that are fleshly. And a very big tool, a big gun, a big old bomb that kills those things is fasting. Matt, why are you talking about fasting, bro? Like, I'm hungry right now. Like, I was wanting a burger on the way in, and now on the way out, the only thing open after 8 o'clock around here is the burger spot across the, uh, the, the street. I've already looked. So, <laughs> I really did. Um, so... Um, Starbucks is closed, the Mexican spot's closed, the Chinese place is open, I think, which will make my wife happy. But I've been out here, like, you, I've been hungry when I walked in, you're talking to me about fasting. Yes, I'm talking about fasting, and here's why. I'm going to ask you to consider, to consider joining me for the next two weeks in a fast. Now, does that mean Matt is not eating any food for the next two weeks? No. Mine will be different. Mine will be relegating myself to a certain few foods, nothing that I really like or enjoy. <laughs> kind of the point, right? And then I will do that myself going forward. Whatever it looks like for you, I'm just inviting you to go with me. Let's us go together, follow the leading of Scripture, you know, Jesus was when he's talking to his disciples about fasting, he says, uh, when you fast, do it this way, as in 
uh, when you're going to do this. <laughs> it's something you're going to wind up doing. But it's a lost tool in the church because denying ourselves is not a popular message. It's just not. But if we're going to make good decisions and plan the way we're supposed to plan through the year, and we're going to make the decisions that are going to lead us down the path of following the Spirit that will produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If that's what we're after, because His Word says that's what we should be after as believers in Christ, if we're going to do that, we're going to have to spend the time to deny ourselves, kill off some of those fleshly things. The war inside of you is not going to be ever over until heaven. It'll just change a little bit. You know, when we got little, my niece and nephew are running around here, they're, you know, seven and five. And so if I tell Troy, if I walk in the room and he's got chocolate all over his face and half of a cookie eaten and looking at me, and I go, bro, you already had nine of those. Put that one down. He's got a decision to make right there. Am I going to submit to what I've been asked to do, or am I going to follow what I want and cram the rest of that thing in my mouth? Now, for us, that's not the case. It should not be the case for us, similar. But that war will still go on inside of us a deeper way as we get more mature. Am I going to be dishonest with this client and charge them more than I should because I'm operating in greed. Ah. Am I going to do what I want? Or am I going to be honest? Am I going to not tell my business partner about this little side thing I got going on which branched from the business we started together? Am I going to kind of keep that to myself? Am I going to do what's right? Or am I going to follow the sinful nature and do what I want to do. Because it was very clear in Galatians 5 where all of that leads. If you've made decisions for the year, <clears throat> I'm going to encourage you to run them through the filter, not of my message, but of this scripture. Do those decisions lead you to fleshly desires? Or do those decisions lead you to spiritual fruit? We have to do this as leaders of a church because even in this setting, that physical, sinful nature can entice us to do things as well. There's no superhumans in this room, all people following the same master. If you choose to do the fast, I'm going to very quickly at the very last bottom of your page, this is how you should start. If you're new to this or if you want to try it, maybe even for a day, two days, whatever it is, maybe I'm just going to do it one day, one week, and one day the next, whatever you decide, whatever you feel comfortable with, and whatever you feel like has been impressed in your heart by the Holy Spirit, here's what you do. Number one, choose the type of fast you're going to do. Am I just going to go no, just water until 717? <laughs> Am I going to just eat one meal a day? Whatever it is, that's between you and the Lord. Set the time frame. 
You can go longer than two weeks if you want. You can go one week, you can go three days, whatever it is. Set your time frame. Determine the focus of what you're trying to pray for and ask God for. And what you're asking for, run them through that filter of Galatians 5. Number four, pray continually because fasting is never apart from prayer. Five, fulfill the commitment you're making. Not to me because you ain't got to come tell me. You can if you want and I'll do my best to kind of check in with you. Hey, how you doing? Here's how I'm doing. You know, all that kind of stuff. We'll, I'll c- completely do that. But fulfill the commitment that you're making. Because here's why. There's some things inside of us. There's some things inside of me. God showed me a bunch of them last night at 11.30 driving down the freeway. Got to get rid of this one, son. Will do. My guess is that no matter how old I get or how close to the Lord I get, He's always going to find that one thing. Not because he's a fault finder, but he's that thorough and deep in us to go, hey, let's deal with this thing.